0: hello again, and welcome back to another episode of Donna the Dead recapping The Last of Us. And uh, I really appreciate you guys, one, for coming back and listening to me go on and on about the show, and two, um, as always, if you have not seen the episode, cut the shit off, <laughs> don't listen to it, go watch it, then come back and listen to it. because. I, I don't want to spoil stuff. I I know it's repetitive to say that, but I really want you to enjoy it. And I feel like if you listen to this first, which I love when you listen to me, but I don't I don't want to ruin anything because if somebody ruined it for me, I'd be I'd be entirely pissed. Like I'd be <laughs> I would be pissed off beyond the level of pissivity. So just going in, uh, this episode of The Last of Us is titled Long Long Time. And there's a a few meanings behind that title, um, and we'll get into all of those, but the main one is it's a Linda Ronstadt song, and that song comes into play. I cannot tell you how amazing this episode was, and they just keep getting fucking better and better. Every week, they top the week before. This was no exception. Um... This one actually ran a little longer than the previous episode at around 75 minutes. And honestly, I could have watched 75 minutes more of this because even as our world takes a turn for the worse, we lucky viewers get to be spectators and a part of a 20-year love story. I know, a 20-year love story amid a post-apocalyptic world. Who would have thunk, right? And it's weird because you find love in strange places like a post-apocalyptic world, <laughs> it just happens I guess. It happened for Joel and Tess and it's gonna happen for uh, the two gentlemen that I'm gonna be talking about for most of this episode and that is Bill and Frank. And uh, before we get to their 20 their year love story well, let's start back at the beginning. So, this was interesting. One of the first episodes uh, so far in this series that didn't have a a cold opener. We didn't have a a previous, you know, two thousand three kind of intro. We do when we get to the Bill and Frank story, but you know, nothing before the title credits start rolling, which was interesting. I, I was a little disappointed until I got into the flow of this episode. Um, just because I've been kind of enjoying seeing those kind of prelude to the episode and what it pertains to or how it folds into the episode. When this one starts, we see Joel and Ellie in a uh, wooded area in a forest next to a a creek and a lake, I guess. And Joel, you know, he's cooling his hands in uh, the water, and he's also obviously still mourning. Um, you know, Tess has probably only been gone a day if that. He's hurt. He's still, his emotions are raw and he's angry. And um, I love the the subtle thing that they do with Joel in this, at the beginning of this episode, because we see him putting his hand in the water and you can see where his knuckles have, kind of been bruised up, but then you can also see that he's pulling out these stones and every stone he pulls out, he's kind of balancing them and kind of stacking them. And it didn't dawn on me until after I watched this episode that what he was doing was basically making, and I'm going to butcher this word, a Karen, Karen, Ugh, I always mess it up, but you know, it's, it's when you make that kind of, uh, I guess stack of rocks and it's usually, I guess like a, uh, a, a mourning, a way to have like almost like a, a tombstone when you can't have a tombstone. So he's doing this very Zen-like thing to kind of honor Tess and to make a his makeshift headstone for her, his makeshift mourning place for her. And I thought that was kind of neat because, you know, if you see it, you're not really, you're not really paying attention to it. You know, you're just kind of seeing him stack these rocks, but it really was his way of kind of giving her a little monument place, um, and, and kind of getting that mourning um, real subtle, but it was, it was a nice way for him to leave that, that kind of burial mound for her, um, and like I said, he's angry. And at this point, he's lashing out at Ellie. You know, he's probably feeling like he's burdened with her by himself. And Ellie can sense it. I mean, he's, you know, throwing her some food and he he's just not really saying anything to her. And she just kind of lashes back out and says, hey, you know, the way I remember it, you and Tess signed up for this. You know, you wanted to get your battery or whatever. So, you know, don't take it out on me. You y'all y'all both volunteered for this. This is what you wanted. Not necessarily to die, but you knew the risk when you set out on this task. So, as we're kind of seeing them go back and forth, you know, Joel says, "Well, you know, we got to get going if we want to get to Bills and Bill and Franks before it gets dark." And Along the way, they're walking and uh, they come across a dilapidated old, I guess, uh, Quickie Mart type place, you know, like an old Seven Eleven or <laughs> some kind of convenience store in the middle of the sticks. And apparently this was a place that Joel and Tess would hide up supplies. You know, they would leave things there in case they needed something while they were traveling back and forth. But the only trouble is Joel can't remember where he put it. <laughs> where he hid it. It was such a while ago, I guess he he, where he put the specific weapons or food or whatever he had hidden there. So Ellie of course ribs him about being old and then she comes in and sees that there is a Mortal Kombat game. And the video game it's a different game. I can't remember I think it's like Angel Knives or something like that. But you know, she starts getting excited about the game and she starts talking about the characters in the, in the Mortal Kombat game. And she makes the comment that she used to play this game with a friend of hers. And that foreshadows the events that we'll get to see in this series, I'm sure, in the next couple of episodes or maybe a few episodes down. Um, but it's nice because you get to see her be a kid, you know. it's We always forget that she's a kid because she goes through so much and, uh, you know, to see her eyes light up when she sees it. And then they just start getting whatever they can find. And Joel's like, yeah, this place is pretty well picked over. There's nothing here. And so she goes exploring, as a kid would do, and finds um, like a little underground basement place. And I And I was so nervous when I watched it because I was like, oh, great. There's going to be something down there and it's going to come out and you know they're gonna narrowly escape death <laughs> once again, but uh, but no, she gets down there and she starts looking around and she finds some some stuff, but she also hears an infected. And in that moment of panic, that wave of panic comes over Ellie's face, and then she sees that it is an infected that was, I guess, trapped. Maybe something shifted down there, and so it's you can only see. The infected's head and an arm, and it's kind of sort of shrieking. No yellow uh, fibers, no no fungi fibers <laughs> over there, so we're we're fine with that. But then she gets up very close to the infected and takes out her little trusty trusty knife and pokes it in the eye, and then. Uh, Joel realizes she's been gone for a while. You know, like as a parent, you you realize your kid's being quiet. You get that, that parental spidey sense tingle, you know? And she's like, he's like asking her if she's okay. And he asked again. And then she comes out there and she's like, yeah, you said it was picked over. And she had whatever little box of, I don't know if there were crackers or what she found, but she uh, acted like nothing. and She didn't never even mention to him that she had come across an infected down there and handled it herself. Now, I thought that was a great scene in itself because it goes to show us that, yeah, she's a kid, but she can handle herself in certain situations. So we shouldn't worry a whole lot about Ellie. We're going to worry a whole lot about Ellie, but she's a capable kid and she's resilient. And I I love the fact that they they showed that part for her. So onward they trek and they're going across the countryside and we see um, a plane that obviously crashed. You know, people are turning infected. They're not thinking about landing. They're just crashing and falling out of sky kind of like when we saw on the first episode where there was the plane crash that overturned the truck that Tommy and Joel and Sarah were in. And so uh, Ellie is fascinated. I mean, she she's grown up in this world, so she doesn't know what it was like when planes were in the air. She doesn't know what, what it was like to travel like that other than walking or being in a, a Jeep or the back of a, a truck. She asked Joel, have you ever been in one of those? And he's like, yeah, I didn't really care for it that much. And she's like, but you got to fly. You got to be in the air. You know, this is all new to her. And it's all wonderful and fascinating. And we always forget when we get older, we we take everything as the mundane and we don't really revel in it. So for me, it's nice to see it through somebody else's eyes, who's never embarked on a plane, who's never left the little world that they're in. It's it's like that when you're a parent too. When you're a parent, everything is new to the kids, so then everything is new to you. And I kind of love that scene. You know, She has so much hope and so much wonderment. I mean, there's tragedy too. She knows about that, but it's nice that she still kind of bounces back Even after just seeing an infected person with a mushroom growing out of their face, (laughs) I always thought, wow, she's really got a really good attitude, but this is all she, this is the only world she knows. That's all she knows. They're also walking, and then Joel was like, okay, we're going to cut across here because there's some stuff over there you don't need to see. She's like, is it something that can hurt me? And he said, no. And she's like, well, you shouldn't have said that. Now I got to go this way. And as they're walking, we see like a burial mound of people's bones, and some of the bones are tiny, you know, some of the skulls are tiny, so she's kind of confused, and Joel basically tells her when federal rounded everybody up, they didn't have enough resources, they didn't have enough food, they didn't have enough for everybody, so. They did what they thought was best. And then it dawns on Ellie, these people weren't sick. And he said, no, they just didn't have enough. And then we see also the federal people putting red X's on doors in this one neighborhood and basically rounding people up and knocking on doors. And then we see one of my favorite characters, Bill, who is in his underground bunker, armed to the teeth, surveillance cameras up the wazoo, and we can hear the Fedra soldiers up top saying, Yeah, there's nobody else in the house, and we've got the rest of the people out. So we we can just go. And he waits until they leave. He's watching them on his own CCTV. And then he comes out, makes like basically a landmine in his yard and sets up fences. And he is living like a king, you know, he's a guy who can kill his own food, clean his own food, you know, he's a survivalist. Uh, There's a joke later, I'll, I'll save the joke, but he's a survivalist. He's He's been prepared for this shit. And yeah, he might be a little bit on the conspiracy theorist side, but he was right to get ready because it's a lot of shit going on. And he lives like that quite happily for a while. I mean, he's the only one there and nobody's going to raid the gasoline and nobody's going to, he's not going to run out of water. He knows how to be self-sufficient. And it's really funny to watch him because uh, he's got all his booby traps set up. So when an infected does come nearby, he's watching it on TV. Like it's, you know, the Friday night football. <laughs> it's so funny. And he's just enjoying watching these uh, infected people, you know, meet their demise at all of these traps that he set up. And he's, he's quite comfortable living that way, but he's obviously alone, but he's used to being alone. Clearly people on the street probably thought he was a weirdo and he probably didn't have a whole lot of friends, but Lo and behold, someone gets caught in a trap, and it is not an infected. It ends up being Frank. What can I say? Frank ends up being the love of his life. And I got to tell you, I really enjoy the way that this these characters played out in this show. Um, it's vastly different in the video game. Uh, don't know if I, I don't want to spoil what it is in the video game. I'm happy to spoil the show, but the video game is is a little, well, a lot darker actually. And I'll just go ahead and say it. The game came out in 2013, I fuck it. <laughs> so I can say, when we see Frank, this way on the, on the series was a lot better. And I enjoyed the hell out of it. Probably one of the best love stories I've ever seen. I think Nick Offerman and Murray Bartlett deserve a fucking Emmy and a slew of awards for their portrayal of, th- of these characters. Um, I went off on a tangent. Sorry. So Frank is in the, one of his traps, one of the non-lethal ones. Bill uh, basically wants to know, you know, if he's infected and, you know, Bill is a survivalist, like I said. So he has his own scanner. He scans him, sees he's fine, puts a ladder in there and says, all right, on your way. And, and then Frank's like, well, I'm hungry. I've been on the road. I've been walking for four days. I haven't eaten in four days, you know? And he's like, well, I'm sorry. I, I only have enough for me, which is a lie. He's got plenty. Um, and if I feed you, you know, then you're going to go around telling every other bum, you know, that you can get a free lunch. And this isn't this isn't a an Arby's. <laughs> and it's funny when he said, you know, they'll be wanting to come and get a handout and a free lunch. This is not Arby's. And then Frank <laughs> says, well, Arby's didn't give a free lunch. It's a restaurant. And I, I cracked up. It was just a matter of fact. This man's holding a shotgun to your face. But <laughs> you felt the need to correct him about Arby's. So he tells him, hey, just give me something to eat. I'll be on my way, okay? I just want to eat and sit somewhere for a few minutes. And he goes against his better judgment, lets him come in, makes him some food. He lets him take a shower. There's something there. I won't say it's a spark, but there's something there. And as he's giving him the dinner, you know, he, he paired the uh, rabbit that he made with a certain wine. And I think at that point, Frank was like, he might be, he might be gay. (laughs) I don't know this. I'm sitting here smiling. I don't know if you can hear it in my voice, but they start feeling each other out. Not not in a sexual way, just their emotional way. They're feeling each other out. And then when he's supposed to uh, leave, he spots a piano and starts playing on it. And the very first song, he he looks at a couple of songs and he's like, no, no, that's not you. That's not you. And then he finds a, a songbook with Linda Ronstadt, Long, Long Time. And he said, this is you. And Frank starts playing horribly. Like he's just banging on the keys. There's no finesse. Either he's really rusty or he's just fucking up on purpose. But it's almost a pained look on Bill's face because, you know, he he knows how to play and he knows that it's terrible. The the notes are terrible. (laughs) It sounds horrible. So instead of being cruel and and saying, you suck, he said, let me let me do it. And then he goes and he sits there and he starts playing on the piano and then he starts singing. And it's a testament to both of these actors because Nick Offerman as Bill, you could tell there's a longing and there's a sadness and there's a, you know, he's he's alone. And then to see Murray Bartlett playing Frank listening and looking at him while he's playing. And there's a, a tear that rolls down his face because you can tell that there's a loneliness and a longing inside of this man while he's playing this piano. And he makes a remark about, well, then they kiss. And I know for this show I know a lot of people probably weren't expecting to see a gay couple in love. Because, you know, we're thinking we're the infected. We're, but you know, what's so beautiful about this show is that why not have love in a post apocalyptic world? I mean, you have to have hope, right? So if you have hope, then you then you want to have love. I, I truly, truly enjoyed this episode because it was so raw and we got to see what life was like for 20 years with these two people. After they kiss, Frank, you know, kind of ask him, he tells him, have you ever been with anybody? And he's like, no, I, I was with a woman once. And then he's kind of like, yeah, I know. He tells Bill to go get a shower, to go take a shower. And Frank is um, in the bedroom waiting on him once he gets out the shower. That's when he asked, had he ever been with anybody? And he said, no, he'd been with a woman once. And Frank pretty much tenderly tells him, okay, well then I'll start with the simple things. We don't see any of that because that's a private moment and it's tender. So we don't, we don't need to know what happens. We know what happens. But then we get to see this kind of lifespan with the two of these gentlemen. And it looks, at least in my opinion, it looks to me like Bill was older. Not much older than Frank, but obviously older. And they're happy together. And then we see all of the things that couples do. You know, they argue and they. Love, and then they also uh, have a little, the little argument that they have is that Frank wants to paint the neighborhood. He wants to spruce up the shops because it's just the two of them. Why not make it your own? I always felt like he was like, oh, okay, I'll just play real life Sims since there's nobody here but us. I can decorate things the way I want, and I can paint shops the way I want. And then he also says, um, why are we making it look nice? And he's, and Bill's like, why are we making it look nice? And Frank's like, well, when we have visitors. And Bill's like, what visitors? He said, I've been talking to a nice lady on the radio. And I, <laughs> and I'm like, holy shit. He's already making friends outside. Um, Cause I mean, you know, it can't just be the two of you. That would drive you nuts. But. We end up finding out that the nice lady he's been talking to on the radio is Tess. And Tess and Joel actually come to visit. They come to visit and we see Frank and Tess kind of run off into the house and they're talking about, you know, different things and, you know, plans and Joel and Bill are left outside like, you know, they leave the husbands out to talk. Not to say that Frank wasn't wasn't a husband, not that he was the wife, but it clearly was like when two friends meet and they just get along and they hit it off and all they want to do is hang out and talk all day. And then they leave their partners out there who don't know each other and they don't give a shit about each other. It's a really cute moment. Um, you know, Joel's kinda giving him some tips. He's like, Yeah, that fence isn't gonna last too long, you know, we could we could do some trading, we could trade some guns for some Um, I think he said aluminum wire that would last 30 years or something like that. And Bill's not really having any of it because he doesn't really trust anybody and he doesn't trust them. And he's got a gun on the table and Joel's like talking and in a mid sentence, he's like, get that gun out of my face. And then he takes the gun off the table and puts it in his holster. You know, it's, it's really funny because Joel and Tess, do a lot of back and forth. I'm sure that that's how they became so close. They've been doing all of these kind of travels together. And Bill and Frank are probably the closest thing that they have to friends because they visit when they wanna trade something or they visit when they're traveling and they need a place to rest. It works, you know? And oh, a really cute scene that we get to see um, when they're visiting for the first time is that we actually get to hear that Frank was the person that came up with the code. He, We can overhear him telling Tess, I was thinking about the code, you know, 80s 80s could mean trouble. And I was like, holy shit, they're the ones that came up with this damn code. How ingenious was that? So a few more years go by. We see uh, Frank and Bill, and they're running, um, just jogging, trying to stay in shape. (laughs) Frank covers Bill's eyes and he wants to show him something. And apparently when the very first time they meet, he trades for some strawberry seeds. And so now the seeds have grown. You know, he planted it around a house that wasn't close by so that Bill couldn't see it. And they're sitting on the ground, not even washed, just right at the ground. And they're eating strawberries and there's this Great look of, oh my God, this tastes so good. You forget little things like this. Obviously, when they're in an apocalyptic setting, you can't just traipse to your store and get strawberries. You have to grow these things now. And the look of joy over their face is so sweet. Bill remarks that, I never used to be afraid. And now he's he is afraid because he doesn't want to lose Frank and he doesn't want anything to happen to him. And it's sweet. And anyone that's ever been in love knows what that feels like. You're so scared you're gonna lose the one thing that makes life worth living. And I, I, I'm I, telling you, I can't tell you how much I enjoyed this episode because it was just, it was a beautiful love story. And it it hit all the marks because that's what it feels like. When you love somebody and you love something so much, you get afraid. Um, Even having children, I feel that way. It's like my children are adults, but I'm fearful of something happening because I love them so much. And I can't imagine my world without them. So to see that conveyed in the show was really sweet because that man isn't scared of anything, but now he's he's afraid because Frank is the only thing that matters to him right now. I forgot when Joel and Tess visited, he was telling him about the fence. I did mention that, but he also told them that, you know, he needs to make sure that he's fortified Federal won't ever come back up there because they don't believe that there is anything for them to come back up there for but Raiders and you know people who want to take what they have will and they'll come at night and the next scene after their sweet strawberry scene is just that a bunch of Raiders coming to take what's theirs Frank is asleep and he's you know awakened by gunfire and you know he doesn't know what's going on, and Bill is outside defending everything. All of the booby traps are going off, and it's like it's like World War III out there. It's crazy, and it's night. You can't really see anything. It's raining. It's dark. There's gunfire. Bill is is definitely defending his turf, and Frank comes out there and he's telling him to go back in. He's, he's got it under control. And of course, Bill gets shot. (laughs) Now, the people that tried to come in did not go any further because half of them were on fire or shot. But Bill is shot and he's laying on the table. And I was so wrought with tension when I watched this because Frank brings him in. He doesn't, closed the door. And all I could think of was, oh, great. These people are going to come storming in here and, you know, kill them or do worse. And none of that happened. Uh, Bill kind of, he's just like, the fence will get the rest of them. You don't have to worry about it. And I made a list for you. And, uh, you know, I've got copies of all the keys and make sure you call Joel. He'll know what to do. And Frank's like right by his side and he's pouring uh, alcohol over his hands and, you know, sterilizing himself. And he's like, uh-huh, I'm not going anywhere. You're going to be fine. And he, he keeps saying, call Joel, call Joel. And I'm assuming he, he passes out, but Frank took care of him. He patched him up. He was fine. Uh I was, worried that we were getting a lot of changes from that point. Like I thought, well, maybe they're going to let Bill go. And it didn't turn out that way. He he actually saved him. But that was the very thing that Tess and Joel were talking about. You know, we could trade medicine and we can, we could be with each other. We could help each other out. And, you know, to think of the two of them out there surviving for 20 years, that's crazy. That's a, I mean, I guess it's not, because he is a survivalist. At one point, Joel called him a prepper, and he said, I'm a survivalist. So I'm sure he had a lot of things in there. Um, But then we see it kind of speeds up, and we are nearing uh, 2023 at this point. And we see that Frank, we see somebody in a wheelchair, and we see somebody come out and get the person. But it's Frank that's in the wheelchair, not Bill. I was thinking, oh, you know, Bill got paralyzed or something when he got shot. But apparently Frank has started to develop a degenerative disease, and there's really nothing they can do. Um, You know, he can't walk. He doesn't really have use of of one of his hands. And we see Bill is out here watering flowers. Frank is on a kind of a sun porch and he's painting with as best as he can. And I'm sure he's been like this for some time and he's been taking medicine and, you know, they've both gotten a lot older. They're both gray and they're both still in love. You know, Bill's taking care of him and he decides, one day that this is it, he doesn't want to live like this anymore. And Bill doesn't want to hear that, and he's like, "There's nothing anybody can do." And he said, well, we can go to a doctor." and he said, there's they wouldn't be able to do anything for me. How would we get there? If we got there and they said they couldn't do nothing, then what? You know? And so he decides he doesn't want to live like this anymore and he decides that today is his last day he tells bill that this is it i want to be i want to be with you i want to have one more good day i want to go and pick out suits i want us to get married and then when we come back i want to have a good dinner And then I want you to crush up all my pills and put it in my wine glass and let me go to sleep. And of course, Bill is like, no, I'm not going to do that. And he's like, if you love me, you will do this. And he cries and he does exactly what he, he takes them into town. They get their suits, they get their rings They have their little private ceremony. They eat a fantastic meal that Bill has cooked. He brings out the wine, they have a glass of wine, and then he brings out another bottle, which I believe was the very first bottle they shared when they had their first meal together. And he crushed up the pills and he's like, do you have the pills? He pulls out the bag and puts it in his glass mixes it up and lets Frank drink it. Bill drinks his glass, and then he pulls out another bottle and pours glass and they drink it. And Frank, it dawns on him, he's like, did you also crush up pills and put it in your wine too? And he said, yeah, I put it in the whole bottle. (laughs) Um, And I, I shouldn't laugh, but he basically tells him that he does not want to live without him, that he doesn't have a life without him. And I'm not typically one to be overly sappy, but man, I had a lump in my throat towards the end because to love someone that deeply, you know, Frank gave Bill something to live for. I don't know if he would have lived a whole 20 years. Either he would have, you know, gone out and tried to be with other people and got infected, or somebody would have come in there and taken what he want, taken what they wanted and hurt him. But for him, that was it. If it was gonna be one last good day, it was gonna be one last good day for both of them. And it was um, it was sweet and sad all at once. And it, it hit me in all the feels. And like I said, I'm I'm not a typically a, a, a person that gets upset or gets moved by a lot. I don't cry at movies. I'm one of those odd ladies. The rom-coms do absolutely nothing for me. I don't cry at movies. I think I've only cried at maybe two movies my whole entire life. And one was when I was a child. So, you know, I don't get overtly sappy, but man, this hit me in like a gut punch. And they played these roles so well. I really did feel like I was peering in and being a voyeur of what this love life, what this lovely love life looked like. Always got alliteration. I don't know why I do that, but it was it was great to see how this 20-year love story unfolded and all because of a tripped booby trap. Um, so they drink their wine. They And he says, take me to bed. And they go to bed. And then we cut back to Joel and Allie, who have just arrived. Uh, this probably happened weeks ago, I'm hoping, or months ago, before they get there. And... He remembers the code, he gets into the gate. He notices that the town doesn't look that great, you know, because they lived there, but they they keep things up. They, they have an upkeep kind of motto. And I'm sure that kind of helps them not go crazy. You know, if you're taking care of things and making it look nice, even if no one can see it but you. And they go to the house and Joel, as he gets closer, you know, he knocks, and then he goes in, and he starts calling them, and he makes his way to the bedroom, and Ellie finds the letter with the key, uh, and she starts reading the letter, and you know, it was basically saying, if you found this, if it's whoever found this letter, it's probably Joel if you found this letter, don't come into the bedroom. And then he basically gives the spiel of what was going on. And he Ellie's reading the letter, and when she gets to the part where they say, Bill is saying, take care of Tess, she doesn't say Tess's name. Because he had already lashed out at, at her earlier about that at the beginning of the episode. So then he takes the letter and he goes outside and he basically chokes back a tear because not only has he now lost Tess, but he's lost the two people that he probably was next to his brother, the two people that are probably the the most close to him since all of this has happened. And he takes the key and it's to the, the truck that we get to see them drive around in, in the video game. And he's got to charge it. So, he goes back in and he tells Allie, well, we've got a truck. Truck's got to charge for a while. Let's uh, get as many supplies as we can and load up. And I thought it was so sweet that Bill told him, make sure, you know, don't come into the bedroom Um we left the window open so it wouldn't smell. We're sorry the house is a mess. Even in death, this man is apologizing for the state of the house, which is hilarious to me. So they're getting all their supplies together. And we get to see Ellie uh, come across some clothes. Joel gives her some clothes. And we finally get to see Ellie in her iconic look from the game, which I almost leapt out of my seat. I was like, oh, It's starting. It's starting. There's a part that really gets Joel in that letter, which is basically Bill telling him that men like us, you know, we we need something, somebody to care for, somebody to look out for. And God help any motherfucker that gets in our way. And I thought, shit, <laughs> that is some prophetic writing because it's true. When Joel first met Ellie, he didn't, he, we, as people watching the video game and as my son played it and watching the show, we have no idea how dedicated this man will be to this girl. And we know why. We we know because of the loss he, he went through. And Ellie's had some loss too. And sometimes that's all life is, is finding that one person that You would do anything for and holding on to them because those are the people that make life worth living and those are the people who give us purpose. And the love story of Bill and Frank is all about finding that one thing, that one person that even during a fungal infection that eradicated most of the people and have turned other people into things that they never thought they would be. There's hope and there's love, even in those strangest places. It's, it's remarkable, but it's true. And I really love uh, that we get to see them getting in the car and they're loading up and uh, the charger's ready and they're on their way and now they don't have to walk. And Ellie finds a... Uh, cassette and puts it in, and it's Linda Ronstadt, the same song that they kind of bonded over the long, long time. And he's telling Ellie to put on her seatbelt. And once again, seeing things through a child's eyes, she's never been in a, a moving vehicle like this. She's probably been in the back of a truck, a Fedra truck, but she's never been in a, a truck in the front where she's the passenger. And she said it's like being on a spaceship and he's like seatbelt and she's looking at him like what the fuck is a (laughs) seatbelt and he has to reach over like a dad would and put the seatbelt on because she doesn't know what that is and they're driving off with that song playing and they have that final crane shot of Bill and Frank's bedroom window and I love that I love that they didn't show the bodies you know a lot of zombie movies they want to show the bodies and we don't need to see that we know what happens we know what we know what happened and we don't need to see the we don't need to to remember them that way we need to remember them the way they were and uh i also love that final shot because it's the bedroom window and if you've played the game you know that that's inspired by the video game title screen but that window, it also signifies promise and loss because we've lost those people in that bedroom. So we also get that final moment with the characters, but we also get that moment of hope because the open windows is possibilities and that's what we're getting going forward with the two of them right now. So... Thank you for listening to my ramblings about this episode. Uh, It is probably one of the finest moments I've ever seen on TV. If if that episode isn't nominated for an Emmy and those actors aren't nominated for something, then they're going to be robbed because I do this thing where I watch the previous episode before the new episode comes on and I probably will have a box of Kleenex the next time I watch it. Um, had me riveted to the screen, was outstanding, and loved every moment. And I, I've always loved Nick Offerman. Murray Bartlett I'm just now getting on the train with because he was so splendid as uh, Armand in the first season of White Lotus, and he killed it. He kills in every scene he's in. So, uh, like I said, if you haven't seen this episode... You should not have been listening this long because I've already ruined it for you. But if you have seen it, please hit me up and let me know what you think about it. Probably the best thing I've seen, and I don't know how long. The, for the beginning of the year, I, I have. If the show just gets better and better from this point, I will be over the moon, and I will have to buy this immediately when it comes out on physical media. So that's the end of this episode. Let me know what you think about it. Let me know what you think about the Last of Us episode if you watch this. Uh, As always, let me know what you think about this podcast. I am so excited to get to Sunday. I never thought I'd say that, but I am. (laughs) And uh, I guess I should just leave you guys with, until next time, just listen out for my voice in the darkness. And I will talk to you then. Bye.